Welcome to the Growth Lab. I am Tej Singh, personal growth enthusiast, world traveler, sales professional on a spiritual journey to live my highest expression. This podcast is meant for individuals looking to evolve in all aspects of their lives. I interview leaders and coaches that have a passion to grow beyond the status quo and expand into their highest potential. Let's dive into it as we help you get 1% better with every episode. What's up, everyone? Super excited to announce your guest for episode 20, Joanna Caprick. Joanna is a professional nanny, a vegan, and the founder of Caprick Care, a nationwide nanny agency. In this episode, we cover her two unique journeys. Number one, how she changed her life and health through becoming a vegan. Number two, her passion for educating kids and why conscious discipline is super important for us to adopt in dealing with kids and in all our relationships. I really enjoyed this episode with Joanna as she shares her two big passions and why they're super important to her. Let's give it a listen. Joanna, thank you for joining the Growth Lab. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited for this episode. This is going to be a good one. Um, actually had your brother on a few episodes ago, Danilo Caprick. So excited to have you on and share your story as well. Um, I think a good starting point for us is really going back to a couple of journeys in your in your life, right? a couple of pivotal points that we were talking about. And, and two key ones was one was around health and the other around education. So let's touch on the, the health piece and how that really uh, started or got initiated, right? Like you changing your lifestyle, you changing your health style. Um, you know, what was the compelling event that opened that up for you? Let's start there. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I, I'm so excited to be here and share my story with you guys. And, and so basically what happened was in 2012, my dad passed away and similar story to my brother. Like it was very difficult for us at the time. Like I was working three jobs. Uh, my brother's working two jobs. My mom was working two jobs. It was pretty tough, but the biggest lesson that I got out of that was I had to take a a deep dive within myself because I knew at the time I was really unhealthy. And since my dad passed away from a heart attack, I had to reevaluate my health. And he was young when he passed away. And I always told myself, you know, if I have a family, like I don't ever want to have to leave my children or my spouse at an early age. So what can I do now to help me be healthier in the long run? So what I did was I met my boyfriend and he was doing a keto diet at the time and he lost a lot of weight. Like he was really, really ripped. However, I did it. I also lost some weight, but I went to my cardiologist and I was just curious on what my heart health looked like. He's like, Oh, so like, what are you eating? So on and so forth. And I was like, well, you know, my dad passed away. I want to get healthier. And so I started doing the keto diet. He's like, you're doing that keto diet. And I'm like, yeah, he's like, you have to stop that right away. And I'm like, why? Like, I mean, I've lost like 10 pounds from doing it. What's so bad about it? Because before I had started, I was almost 200 pounds. That was the heaviest I had ever been. Um, And some other health issues that I had along with that was I had high blood pressure, high cholesterol. My menstrual cycles were almost non-existent. And I have a history of having ovarian cysts. So I was not the healthiest. And I was in my early 20s. 
And so with my cardiologist, he ran blood tests and everything. He's like, yep, you have high cholesterol. Yep, you have high blood pressure. Yep, you have all these issues. So he's like, you need to start eating more vegetables and less fat. And the keto diet is all about eating fat. Mm. So like, yeah, 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 whatever. And you know, when I feel like when you're in your early 20s, you feel like you know so much because you know, you graduated high school, you graduate college, like, like I know stuff, like I'm smart, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I had no idea with how little I knew at that time. And as we grow, like, and we're constantly learning, we're like, oh, like I thought I knew back then, but I really had no idea. So then my brother and my mom, they took a trip to Montenegro to go visit our family. And at the time we had a, my boyfriend and I, we stayed at my mom's house in Port St. Lucie and that's in Florida. And so uh, we were dog sitting our family dog and my boyfriend got really sick because we had just came back from Mexico and long story short, he had to go to the ER, get a spinal tap. He was okay. But after the spinal tap, his spinal fluid was leaking. They messed up on the spinal tap. It was so bad. He couldn't even get up out of bed. And he had never grown up with a dog before. And so my dog would just like tend to his bed and make sure he was okay. And he's like, wow, like I never grew up with a dog. and I didn't know dogs were like this. And so for him, he actually went vegan right after that experience because of the whole dog aspect. And he's like, you know, like, in China, they eat cats and dogs, but in the United States, we eat cows, pigs, and chickens. Like, why are we to criticize China for eating those animals, but we eat animals here? And so he went vegan for ethics. And he's like, well, I'm going vegan. I'm like, I'm not going to eat salads every single day. Like, <laughs> that's not my flow. My family's from Eastern Europe. Like, we eat a lot of meat, a lot of cheese. And it's like a cultural thing for me, too. And so I was like, I'm not going vegan. So then, you know, months go by, my boyfriend's still vegan, and I'm learning how to cook, watching YouTube videos, um, because I like to cook, and so I wanted to learn how to cook for him. And so he ended up showing me some videos from a doctor, his name was Dr. Michael Greger, and in this video, it was pretty long, it was like a lecture he was doing at a college, and basically in the lecture, what I got out of it that like made me change was he did an experiment with three Petri dishes and he grabbed blood from three different types of people with different lifestyles. One person ate a whole food plant-based diet and did some exercise. The second person ate like what you consider like healthy, like eating lean meats, not eating fast food, um, and then exercising, but was still eating like meats and cheese, but in a healthy way. Then the last person was eating like an unhealthy standard American diet. We're eating fast food and so on and so forth. Then he added cancer cells to the Petri dishes, all three of them. The person who ate the fast food, the cancer cell cells were growing at a rapid rate and the cancer cells were thriving in that environment. Then the person who ate healthy, but wasn't eating whole food plant-based, the cancer was slowing down the growth, but it wasn't being eliminated. The problem was still there. The person who ate whole food plant-based actually killed the cancer cells. I then learned that my boyfriend has an uncle who is from Dominican Republic and went to go see a holistic doctor in Dominican Republic, had stage four cancer. The doctors in the United States told him he only had a few months to live and they're like, you're gonna have to do chemo. He's like, I'm not doing chemo went to Dominican Republic again and saw a holistic doctor and ate a whole food plant-based diet and reversed his cancer. And still today, years later is still cancer-free. 
when I heard that, I was like, I kind of have to do this because if, if I know that eating a whole food plant-based diet can reverse cancer cells, I'm like, I have to take this seriously. So I told my boyfriend, I said, you know what? I'm going to try it for 30 days because for me, trying new things like that, in my opinion, at that time was very extreme. I'm like going vegan is like an extreme thing because I'm so used to eating meat and cheese. So I told him I tried for 30 days. I did it for 30 days and then I did a before and after blood work. So before I even tried that vegan diet, I went to my primary care doctor. I said, run every single test on me. I want to see what my vitamin levels are at. I want to see like my blood pressure, my cholesterol, et cetera. Then after the 30 days of me um, being vegan, I said to myself, I can actually do this. It's not that bad. The only hard part was for me was removing sushi from my diet. But then I just found out I could just eat like avocado rolls and like veggie rolls. So I was okay. So then I kept doing it and I said, okay, now that I've done it for a month, I'm going to try for a year. And then after a year, I want to do blood work again and see where I'm at. This is the funny part. I went to my primary care doctor and, and I went with my mom actually. And my mom was shocked too, because I did my blood work and the doctor was like, what did you do? Because you don't have high blood pressure pressure anymore. And he was actually close to putting me on like a high blood pressure medication. And even though it was in my early twenties mm. and he's like, what did you do differently? Like, I'm shocked that like you were able to get rid of like all your problems, like all your vitamin levels are good. Like even like the controversial B12 conversation that happens with a lot of vegans and even protein, they're like, Oh, like, where do you get your protein from? How about B12? Cause you get that from animal products. All of that was like considered normal in my blood work. And so when I told my doctor that I went vegan, he was like, yeah, but vegans still consume cholesterol. Like, how did you get rid of your cholesterol is what I'm concerned about. And I said, no, eating whole food plant-based means that I don't eat any animal products and cholesterol is made from animals. This man told me that there's cholesterol in avocados. This is my primary care doctor. <laughs> and so I had to tell him, no, there's no cholesterol in avocados. And he actually had to Google it on his computer in front of me. <laughs> I was shocked by this. I'm like, American doctors really know nothing about nutrition. And so even my mom was there and she was shocked too, like that I knew more than the doctor knew about like nutrition. So anyways, like my doctor learned something new and I was happy <laughs> that like everything was great. And so I was like, I'm going to keep doing this. And now I've been vegan for five years. And so as time has gone on, like I initially went vegan for health reasons, but now I'm vegan for health, for the animals, and now the environment aspect, because like I said in the beginning, like as we grow older, we're always learning new things. And so I learned that there's a lot of other benefits to going vegan, but yeah, that was my, that was my health journey. And I've been vegan now for five years. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. And thank you for sharing that. And, you know, p the name of this uh, podcast is Growth Lab, right? And the, mm -hmm. the lab is laboratory. And what I, what I mean by that is people to try different things, right? That's, that's the principle that I live by is I will try something for a short period of time and see if it works. And if it does, I'll adopt it, right? So, uh, you know, that you explain that beautifully in your journey is that you tried something, you actually had a, uh, you know, test prior and then after and see how you felt how your blood work looked and then, you know, and you continued on, right? So that's a great example of trying something in that way. Um, so, and you make a great case for veganism, right? With, with your story. So I, you know, for me personally, I've, I've also tried, um, you know, uh, being in plant-based. Now I'm kind of a hybrid where I have, 
you know, meets when I really feel like it, but most of the time I'm plant-based, but it, it came from that intention of, of trying it first and then seeing how my energy felt and seeing, uh, you know, how I, how my body reacted to, to eating differently in that way. Um, so that's amazing. So once you, so that's been five years. So at this point, like, you know, I guess if you go back to like that month and the year, like, did you see, did you notice the difference in your energy and like how you were thinking and some, some of the intangibles that people don't think about beyond just the health, like the weight results, right. But like what, what else happened as a, as a change of this diet? So at that time, um, I did notice I had more energy and even like I had problems with my memory. Like I've always had memory issues and I was actually diagnosed with ADHD from a psychologist. And he told me, I asked him, I said, what are some natural ways that I could like reverse my ADHD? And he said, well, diet's a big one. And so I did some more research and they've said that it does help with ADHD. So I've definitely noticed, like, I feel like my memory is a little bit more sharper. I wouldn't say it's perfect because I feel like there is no perfect solution. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I feel like, like you can't just like, oh, I have perfect memory now. You know what I'm saying? Cause I, I will never say that. Like, I, I'm not like even, I wouldn't even say like I'm perfect health because achieving perfect is almost impossible but I've definitely seen a huge difference with my energy. I, I feel like my brain is sharper with memory. I can recall things faster. Um, and definitely including like I've included like hemp seed, flax seeds, like those healthy omegas that are, are good for your brain. So I include that also in my diet. And I think that's also helped also. Yeah. So what does your diet look like today? Like what, what do you, cause you know, you have to find a lot of substitutes and alternatives when you go from eating, eating a lot of meat and, uh, you know, animal products. So what do you, what, what have you incorporated? And now that you're a, a veteran of, of, of eating vegan for the last five years, like what, what's your diet look like today? So typically like, you know, we, my boyfriend and I, we always call it recreational foods. Recreational foods are like when you go out to a restaurant and you know, they're oily, they're greasy, whatever. I feel like being vegan in 2020 is a lot easier than it was way back then because I feel like in every major city, you can always find a vegan restaurant where they even have like fried chicken. It's not real chicken, but like, it's like a vegan mock meat. Yeah. Those are not the healthiest. Now, when I'm cooking at home, a lot of substitutes I'll use are like lentils are really good. Um, even for example, if you want to do like pulled pork, there's two awesome substitutes that give you a very similar texture and consistency. One of them being oyster mushrooms. So if you shred them like towards like the stalk of the mushroom, you shred them, it almost looks like pulled pork and also young jackfruit, like before it becomes ripe, you take jackfruit and you like tear it apart. It also has that pulled pork consistency. So using a mushroom or using a fruit, I know it sounds weird a fruit, but it's really not that sweet. Um, by using those two things, I mean, you're cutting out cholesterol from your diet, you're cutting out the hormones, because even if you buy like, let's say, um, organic chicken or organic beef, as mammals or as an animal, you are still producing hormones, like, you know what I mean? Like plants um, have their own hormones. So actually, I'm glad I just thought of this because plants do have their own hormones called phytoestrogens versus mammalian estrogen. So when you're drinking milk, when you're eating animal products, those contain mammalian hormones. And we, as mammals, like our body recognizes it's a mammal hormone. And so we consume it and our body digests it and metabolizes it. Now, when you're consuming plant products, like 
tofu, beans, apples, fruits and vegetables, et cetera, you're consuming phytoestrogens. The biggest controversy I've always heard in the vegan community is, oh, but if you eat too much soy and tofu, you're going to get man boobs, right? I've always heard like the term like soy boy, like for men, like they're going to develop like man boobs. That's not true. <laughs> so if you drink beer, if you eat apples, if you drink coffee, you're consuming phytoestrogens, which is the same estrogen that's in soy. And people are always like, oh, there's estrogen in soy. That's a big issue because it's going to make you develop man boobs or whatever. <laughs> and so it's a huge thing that a lot of people don't know about. Um, so with phytoestrogens, it's everywhere. Now it is a little bit higher in soy, but the thing is we're not plants. Like our bodies are not going to, you know, like for example, plant cells are a lot different than like human cells they have a plant they are, there's actually a cell wall around plant cells and so that's why when we eat a lot of high fiber foods it goes right through us so we can't digest for example like corn it's high fiber it just goes right through us so same with phytoestrogens our body doesn't like take that estrogen and develop it as like mammalian estrogen if that makes sense now if you're consuming like milk from a cow, which is going to have mammalian estrogen because it comes from a female cow, then your body's going to recognize it as estrogen and produce more estrogen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's some, I'm forgetting the name of some documentaries that I've seen recently. Um, you know, what, what suggestions do you have if you, if any come to mind from documentaries or even books for people yeah. that are interested in the subject or just want to, you know, explore more about this? So my favorite book is by the doctor that actually inspired me to go vegan. Um, it's by Dr. Michael Greger, and his book is called How Not to Die. The reason why I love his stuff, and he even has a website, it's called nutritionfacts.org. I love his stuff because all of his stuff is research-based, and he's an actual doctor. You know what I mean? So I kind of trust him more than someone like me who's not a doctor and is just preaching veganism. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people, they hear like vegan, and they think it's like a cult almost. And so I wasn't going to hear from some random vegan, like, oh, go vegan, go vegan. Like, I wasn't going to listen to them, but I would be more inclined to listen to a doctor, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. So I definitely recommend him. He's really, really great at his information. Um, and documentaries, there's a new one called Game Changers. That's a really good one if you're interested for hearing about, like, the benefits from, like, an athletic standpoint. So on there, they had um, – like some football players on there um, and some other former athletes and current athletes um, on that documentary where they would put them on a plant-based diet and see how they perform. And they talk about all the benefits. So that's from a sport aspect. There's also what the health they have um, some vegan doctors on there. That's a really good one. Um, and then if you want, there are some other vegan documentaries out there that are for the, ethical reasons, but I mean, I, those are a little bit too much, but I would say what the health and game changers are my top two favorites. Yeah. Those are good ones. I, I think I've seen both. I remember seeing game changes, the, the, the one that came out recently, that one's fascinating, especially for people that, you know, have the whole notion of protein and like, mm -hmm. and performance that you, you can't get that through eating a plant-based diet. Um, and it kind of breaks those, those notions that you might have. And it takes some Olympic athletes and some bodybuilders that, you know, are strictly on a plant-based diet and how, how, how much better they're performing actually because of being on a plant-based diet. So my stand on it, you know, and, and how, you know, what I would suggest is people try 
uh, try it, you know, try whatever diet. Cause there's so many different diets out there, right? There's, uh, and, and there's arguments on all sides of the table, right? You know, there's some people that eat meat that'll, you know, that'll go off, go on for days about why that's beneficial and the same for plant-based. Um, my stand on it is the closer it gets to the ground, the better it is. Right. And if it yeah. grows naturally, like that's sim- simply, if you think of it in that way, um, you know, it, it, it makes, it makes it easier and then try it, try a, a diet like, uh, like you did, Jelana, where you, Tried it for a month and you know saw how you felt, and then and then you made the decision to actually go full on, you know. So that would be my recommendation. Now, I think what we can do now is pivot a little bit into the second part of your journey that you were you were describing, which is uh, which is education. And and you mentioned earlier how these were separate, but then they actually came together. Um, so perhaps you know start us off on that piece, the education piece, and how that opened up for you and how they came together. Yeah. So with the education, education piece of it, um, after my dad died, you know, I was working so many jobs. I was working at a tanning salon. I was also babysitting and I was working at a daycare. And so at this daycare I was working at, I mean, the owners, it was a franchise. So the owners of the daycare were not taking the best care of the facility. Sometimes they wouldn't pay their water bill. They wouldn't have water the whole day. The electricity would go out sometimes. It was just crazy. And I would pay for my own supplies in my classroom. So I was venting one day to a family that I've been babysitting for since I was, I think, 17 or 18 years old. I've been with them for a long time. And I was venting to them about it. And the mom was like, hey, like, why don't you apply to the school that her children were going to? And I'm like, I would love to work at their school. What's the school like? She's like, well, it's a Montessori school. I'm like, I don't know what that is. And so I learned more about it. And basically Montessori is, it was started by an Italian woman whose name is Maria Montessori. And she actually started off working with poor children in her village. And I believe she also was like a doctor, like she was a psychologist as well. And so she created like a different type of learning with children. And like, she created this new curriculum and in my opinion, I feel like this is like the optimal way to learn because I wish I would have had this growing up. Like, for example, like, like the way they teach multiplication, it blows my mind. Like, I love the way they teach multiplication. In traditional schools, we're just taught to memorize them. In the Montessori environment, it's like they have these string of beads. And so let's just say you're learning the two times tables, for example. They'll have like two beads with a spacer, two beads and then a spacer, two beads and a spacer. And so you can visually and tangibly with your hands, manipulate the material. So then you learn it because every kid learns differently. We're not all auditory learners. Sometimes we need some tactile information and stuff like that. So I then went to this Montessori school and I had training and I love the way that they trained me at the school because I was told for the first week, I was not allowed to touch a child till like, interact with a child. I was not allowed to do anything besides sit in a chair and observe. And I thought that that was such an important lesson because we're so quick to just like jump into things and want to do things. But a lot of times when you jump into something new, you can be reckless with it. And so um, since I knew nothing about Montessori, I literally just sat and I watched and like the entire time I was just like amazed. I'm like, these kids are so receptive to what their teachers are saying and the way that they behave is just like so like the etiquette is like to a whole nother level and so like you see these like little kids like pouring their own cups making their own snacks like the independence level is tremendous and so i really resonated with that a lot but 
My favorite thing that I learned at that Montessori school actually had nothing to do with Montessori. The one thing that I learned that was my favorite thing was something called conscious discipline. Now at this school, like, like I mentioned, like the kids had great etiquette and a part of that was the discipline style that the teachers used. And so every few months our school would pay for a certified Montessori instructor to come to the school and teach us teachers how to interact with kids when they have tantrums, when they're upset, so on and so forth. And I'll never forget this woman. Her name is Ginny Luther. She was trained by Dr. Becky Bailey. Dr. Becky Bailey is the founder of Conscious Discipline. She's a child psychologist. Um, she is based out of Orlando and she's like my idol. I love her so much. I would love to meet her one day. I actually uh, plan on doing like some actual like official certification. So hopefully one day I will meet her. Um, but for me, the biggest lesson was to teach the teachers about composure. And I know that sounds very general, but composure is self-regulation and it's a prerequisite skill that adults need before disciplining children. And so another thing that, is, that I've learned that I think is amazing is the power of perception. So the power of perception in simple terms means that nobody can make you angry without your permission. So happiness is a choice, not a fact. So healthy, secure relationships, they require us to have control and responsibilities of our own emotions. An example of this is like with teachers or with parents or even spouses, they might respond and say, look what you made me do. You're driving me crazy, right? You might hear that. But by you saying that, you're sending the message to your child or to your spouse that they're responsible for your emotions. And so if we believe, for example, let's say you're in a traffic jam, if we believe that traffic drives us crazy, we have given power to the traffic jam. Or if we believe our children are driving us crazy, we're giving power to our children. And so when you're placing other people in charge of our emotions, it leaves you powerless and stressed out. And then that shifts our thinking to our lower centers of our brain which is associated with the flight or fight response, which makes us more likely to blame others. And so for optimal problem solving, you want to use your frontal lobe. That's what's associated with like logic and problem solving. When you're using the lower centers of your brain, that's when kids are going through tantrums, when they're screaming, when you're screaming at your spouse, that's when you're using those lower centers of your brain. That's what you want to avoid. And so whomever you've placed in charge of your feelings, you've placed in charge of you, you've lost power of yourself. And so there are three negative results that come from this type of thinking. One, it can result in the faulty belief that blame equals change. Two, the faulty belief that control equals love or helpfulness. Or three, a faulty belief that I'm not good enough after all my failed attempts at making others feel better. So with the power of perception, it's important to realize that we're in charge of our own emotions. And so something that we can do is that we need to have the willingness to make mistakes. So if we sometimes, I mean, we're all human, you know what I mean? So if, if we're one day we catch ourselves slipping and we're, we start yelling or like blaming our kids, we can just simply say, oops, I made a mistake. And that makes us more human too, when we can connect with our children or with our spouse and say, I made a mistake, let's work on this together. Um, and so for me, that was huge because I noticed that with like teachers, parents, and you know, even spouses, they'll like blame you for something. 
to be like, look what you made me do. You're driving me crazy or I can't believe this or whatever. And so when you shift that to yourself and you realize you're in charge of your own emotions, like the, everything just changes around you. And like the, the way the relationships form, like is it just changes completely. And that's why I've noticed like in those, in the Montessori school, those kids were like, so peaceful. They listened to everything that their teacher said. And it's because the teachers never talked to children in that way that like, we've always heard traditionally, like growing up, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank, thank you for sharing that. I was actually writing down a couple of the things you mentioned. Um, so from the top, I mean, this is, this is a discipline that you're talking about is conscious discipline, right? Like this yeah. is, this is the over encompassing thing uh, of, of just engaging with kids yeah so that's like the and then this could be translated you know you can transfer this to any interactions that you might have and not just not just kids but in the in the sense of kids you mentioned two things right having composure as Mm -hmm. being the number one important thing and the number two is the power of perception right so those two being two those two things being super important so you talked about the power of perception what that means having composure you know elaborate on that a little bit like is, is there practices that go along with that? Like, what does that really mean? Yeah. So um, composure, like I said, it's self-regulation. And so in order for us to have composure, we have to stop before we start our upset. Cause I mean, it's natural. Like when you have a trigger for you to just react with, like I said, the lower centers of your brain and just like want to just jump at it. You know what I'm saying? Almost like a tiger, just like jumping at it. So the first step that I've noticed that always helps is breathing. And this is why yoga, I think is so amazing because they talk about breathing and how important it is. And it 1000% is super important because when you allow more oxygen to your brain, you're more likely to think with your frontal lobe. And so part of composure is breathing. So 70% of waste products in our body are actually removed via breathing. 30% of it is through sweat. And then the rest of the 10% is through the kidneys and through the colon. So majority of our waste is being eliminated through breathing. So I always tell like parents, cause I also do like some parent consulting and coaching. I always tell them like, say, before you get upset, before you feel like you need to lash out, take a stop, take a deep breath and then relax. And then start noticing instead of judging. Cause that's a big uh, problem too, is that a lot of the times we'll judge kids. And when I say judge kids is like, like, for example, you might say, oh my gosh, look at this crazy mess. I can't believe like you would just like live like this. This is disgusting, like stuff like that. And that's like judging, right? Instead of saying that kind of language, you could say, hmm, I noticed there are a bunch of Legos all over the floor. Do you know where we could put the Legos? Do you have like a bin or something like that? And the kids are like, oh yeah, I have a bin. And be like, can you show me where it is? I'll help you. Let's put the Legos together away or something like that. And, you know, offer help sometimes if they need help with their younger kids. If they're older, they need to be more direct with your communication and say, hey, I need this picked up by one o'clock PM today. And they'll at least give them a time limit. So let's say you have guests coming over um, by setting those healthy boundaries with kids it's really important for them because they also have like a reference, like, Hey, okay. So I need to get this done by one o'clock today. It's almost like for them, they know what to expect of what's coming next. Mm-hmm. So the composure piece is you kind of catching your breath coming to the point of really not reacting right away, but rather, you know, kind of coming back to your center 
and then coming from that place. You know, the breathwork piece is, is so important. Just a, a simple breath can change change a lot. I've I've dabbled in, in breathwork for different reasons, but it's uh, it's absolutely powerful. You mentioned the yoga piece too. If if none of you guys have heard of uh, someone called uh, Wim Hof, W I M H A O H O F. Wim Hof, check him out. He's a, a big uh, breathwork facilitator. So just a side comment, uh, <laughs> go, go, go check him out if you're into that. But you know, the breathwork piece or just breath, taking a d- deep breath can be so essential. Um, and then you talked about the, uh, the power of perception too, right? So that goes into kind of the, the, the perspective that you have on your emotions, right? Like who, who are you giving your power away to? That's how I'm understanding it. Yes. So it's like the framing in your head prior to you reacting to uh, your kids or any situation that you're dealt with, right? So it's the, the, the shift in perspective to taking uh, ownership and power back to yourself rather than just giving it away, you know, to your kids or any, any other situation that might be there. And that's so essential in any part of your life, right? Not just in dealing with kids, but yeah. especially with kids, you know, if you have kids, um, you know, I can see this being, being super powerful. And just even that technique you mentioned of, um, rather than saying, you know, why'd you make this big mess? You know, it's kind of shifting that, right? Shifting that conversation a little bit. Yeah. Um, so on the power of perception piece on that one, um, you know, how can one kind of shift that mindset? Is it just kind of looking at it and breaking it down? Like, or is it a more elaborate process where you kind of really look at, you know, your, your, your perceptions and your mindset and kind of like pick it apart? Like, how does one go about changing that perspective? So honestly, everything is a process and everything with change requires the willingness to make mistakes. If you're not willing to make mistakes, you're never going to change because nobody's perfect. And to achieve perfection is almost impossible, right? Even myself, like I've worked with kids for 12 years now, and I wouldn't say I'm perfect by any means. Like I still have a lot to learn. Um, And so what I always say is like, you know, you try the best you can, you take these skills and you try to remember them. And if you can include like a spouse or even your children involved in it too, including somebody else to help you with your journey is always like, if you have a team with you, it always makes things easier. Like for example, when I went vegan, my boyfriend was with me and we did it together. Like it was a together kind of process. When I did conscious discipline, like I did it with the teachers that were around me and I don't have kids, but you know, for someone that does have kids, if they can include their spouse into this learning journey, I think that would be so amazing because then they're both on the same page and they can both correct each other when they make a mistake. And so if they're like, oh, you forgot to say it like this instead of like that, because it really is deprogramming yourself from how you were raised and how you've seen other people raise their own children, even through media, right? Like we've watched movies and we see how like the family home is set up. Like there's always like that traditional norm that we're used to, but that might not be the best way to discipline and deal with children. So I feel like it's always good to just research and learn like positive parenting, conscious discipline. Like those are two really good ways to interact and discipline your children because the foundation of it is building the relationship with your child. And that's number one. If you don't have a relationship with your child, they're not going to be receptive to anything that you say. They're going to shut you out first and foremost. So connection is super important. Yeah, absolutely. So then you know, the, the, the piece around, you know, how you got into this whole thing, right. It was, it was just an initiation. Like how, like, how did you start 
you know, just being taking care of kids? Like, what was the, did you, were you just interested in this? Like, what was the kind of opening for you to get? Cause obviously in, in the conversation today, you're quite passionate about this, right. And in, in the way that you share it, and this is a big piece of your life. So what was kind of the compelling reason? Like what, what drove you to, to get into this? So in high school, I started working at Chuck E. Cheese and <laughs> I was hosting birthday parties for kids at Chuck E. Cheese. This is my very first job. Um, and so after that experience, I, well, during that experience, I met a family there and I'll never forget them. Like this family is so special to me. Like I've known them forever since I was 17 and they were like the first professional like babysitting experience that I had per se. Like I would be around like my mom's kids that had friends and stuff like that, but like it was never like a paid professional job, right? So I did have experience with kids, but it was never like in a professional setting. So the mom's name was Amber. So Amber, um, she's like, hey, like I loved how you interacted with my son. Do you wanna come over and babysit sometimes? I'm like, oh my God, I would love to. And so since then, like I'm still really close to this family. Like we still talk. Um, but this family has been so helpful to me, like during the time, like when my dad passed away, like they were so helpful, like, um, her and her husband are both CPA. So they would like help my family do their taxes, stuff like that. And so like, she helped me get the job to work at her children's school at the Montessori school. So like, I'll never forget this family. They literally are so special to me. Um, but that's how I got involved working with children was first from babysitting her kids. And gotcha. then she helped me get the job at the Montessori school. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So that was the initiation of how you got in. So, you know, at this point, as we come closer to, to ending our conversation, um, you know, with, with the conscious discipline and what you mentioned here, you know, same, same question as I asked about you know, veganism, is there any books you suggest or anything that you suggest and people want to explore this you know, even further, especially you know, as you're thinking about, um, you know, somebody has kids, the relationship that they have with their kids or just overall, they're interested in the subject, where can they go? So there's www.consciousdiscipline.com. And they have all the resources there. And I think on Amazon, you could go and buy um, a book. It's by Dr. Becky Bailey herself. It's called Easy to Love, Difficult to Discipline. I love that book. And if you really want like a step-by-step -step guide, I actually have it here. I love this book. It's like a conscious discipline, like guidebook, essentially. Like I, I love this. This is great for teachers. Um, even parents, honestly, like, and even me, like I've been a nanny for most of my career. Um, but that's more in like a classroom setting, but I do find a lot of that information really helpful. And that's on the conscious discipline website. Like that book I got from, um, taking like an online class. And so that one is called building resilient classrooms. So they're all really good resources. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause this is a taster of what, um, you know, what this is, this is about. And I think there's a lot for people to kind of unfold and unpack, uh, you know, within that. Uh, and then you, you have your own sort of nanny service, right? So if people want to sort of engage with you, uh, you're in the Orlando, Florida area. Uh, yeah. So I actually, um, help families all over the U S find nannies. I mean, I have clients in Texas, Florida, everywhere. Um, so yeah, if someone is looking for a nanny, I have my own website. It's www.capricare.com, C-A-P-R-I-C-C-A-R-E. 
Gotcha. So Perfect. If, if someone needs a nanny, I can definitely help them with that. Yeah. Yeah. And this is such a good subject too, as we talked about it, right? You know, it's like discipline, you know, if you grew up in an Asian family, it's, it's, it's not done very well. You get, you know, it's, it's, it's done in a way that you just get uh, hit with a stick kind of a thing. So yeah. this is uh, a, <laughs> so this is something good for people to discover and just the, the consciously uh, doing this, you know, how do you consciously discipline and, and kind of watching to your point, watching some of the, the perceptions that you have and perspectives that you hold, um, you know, kind of changing those. So this is, again, a great taster uh, and people can kind of go deeper in. And if they want to engage with you, obviously, they can find you uh, on the website you mentioned. Is there any other areas or anything else that we haven't talked about or I haven't asked about that you want to you want to highlight? No, I think that's it. But um, if they want to contact me directly, I also have like my Capricare Instagram page so they can reach me out on Instagram. And my app for Instagram is just Capricare. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us today and sharing your story uh, and, and what's super important to you and kind of the two big journeys in your life, right? The, the health transformation. And I suppose one of the things I didn't ask now that we're coming to end is how, how did you see them coming together? You mentioned the two running parallel, but also kind of like interjecting. Well, yeah, yeah, so they came together because I feel like it's so funny because I feel like I don't know if this is the Gemini aspect of me, but like, I feel like I have like many different things that I'm good at. And so I feel like those two journeys though, like allowed me, for example, with my veganism journey, I became a lot better of a cook and I learned about food and nutrition. And so that's what helped me with that aspect. And then like the educational part, like the Montessori school, like that's where I like learned how to be creative. That's where I learned about like the discipline aspect. And that's like where I've learned like the therapeutic aspect, because I feel like conscious discipline is really therapy for yourself. It doesn't seem like it, because it seems like it's more for children, but it starts with yourself first. And so that's where I feel like as a whole, that's those two journeys created who I am today and it created like that bigger picture of who I am. And so that's why like, I feel like I'm all over the place. It's like, I have many different talents. Like I cook, I like veganism. I also work with kids. Like I, and I also like gardening. Like I also, you know what I'm saying? Like I have a lot of different like hobbies and stuff and so I'm all over the map. So all of my individual journeys, they all do create one large picture of who I am. Yeah, absolutely. And it's almost like some of those things set the foundation for you to do what you're doing today, right? And then they kind of come all together. Uh, so I think that's a great, great place to, to, to end the conversation. So thank you again for joining us. Um, you know, I'll link some of the, some of the uh, websites and the Instagram page you mentioned if somebody wants to find you. Uh, we appreciate you coming on today. Thank you, Irana. Yes, thank you too.